morning. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks so much for uh, making River Glen part of, your, part of your Sunday morning. Those of you joining us online, wherever you might be, great to have you with us. And a uh, special welcome to those of you over in Pewaukee at the new uh, Pewaukee uh, campus as uh, they get ready. They're holding dress rehearsal services for their uh, grand opening. Would you join me? Let's just, let's just give them a, a round of applause over in Pewaukee. Yeah. Yeah, we're just really thrilled and really excited. Keep them in your prayers as they prepare for grand opening Sunday, which is next Sunday, October 7th. But it's not just launching the, the new uh, campus in Pewaukee. You know what? It's also kind of like relaunching this campus here. This, this new campus, it has a ripple effect uh, across our entire church as we become one church in two locations and we go from three services uh, every weekend to five services each weekend. I want you to get a little uh, sneak peek here of what it looks like in the Pewaukee campus. Uh, here's the auditorium and you see I'm on stage there. But you know what? I'm not actually there. That is, that's video. That's live streaming the message on the uh, on, on screen. It's just amazing technology. They've even made me taller at the uh, Pewaukee, which I really appreciate. But uh, you're going to want to go and, and check it out. If you were here a couple weeks ago, I asked a favor. Maybe you weren't here. And so I'll ask it uh, again, really want you to go to the Pewaukee uh, location, but I know there's a, and I know there's a buzz here at Waukesha, and, and some of us want to go next Sunday to the, uh, to the grand opening, because it's the first week, but I want to ask a favor. I want you to visit Pewaukee, but I want you to wait until after next Sunday, and the reason I say that is because the, the auditorium is much smaller in Pewaukee, and you might take a seat from someone who comes from that community. Now, if you, if you live over there, okay, you live in that area, go there. We want you to go there. Uh, but if you don't, here's the favor I'm asking. Wait, wait until November. Circle a Sunday in November and go over to Pewaukee. I want you to see it. And we've been planning for this. We've been preparing and, and preparing uh, for this. But, but please wait until November. Plus, we've got a lot of work to do here. We're, we're sending off over 300 people to uh, help the Pewaukee location get up uh, off the ground. And so we need to replenish uh, here. And I know Pewaukee has been working really hard to in invite people, and uh, we're not gonna let them outwork us here, right? And uh, what a great opportunity we have this next weekend as we launch a new series called uh, Fixer Upper, focusing on relationships, not just romantic relationships, but all relationships, because from time to time, all of us, we need to renew relationships. We need to rebuild and, and renovate our relationships. And so please take invitation pieces on your way out and uh, hand them out this week to people who don't normally uh, go to church. Invite them to, to, to come here. Now today we're gonna wrap up a series called Irresistible. The big idea is that the church should be irresistible. Jesus is irresistible. And I know we probably don't think that way, you know, in our culture, but if you read the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, I mean, the church was a people magnet. It was a sinner magnet. I mean, people were excited about the church. They were attracted to the church. People on the outside wanted on the inside. People on the outside, they wanted to experience the love and the joy and the friendship that they saw on the inside. I mean, who wouldn't want that? The church should be irresistible, not just back then, but today. And so throughout this series, we've talked about specific steps that uh, we need to take 
in partnership with God to create the right environment to make the church uh, irresistible today. And today's step involves uh, generosity because an irresistible church, an irresistible church is always a generous church. And to get us thinking in this direction, I, I've got a little video that I want you to see. And uh, now, now this video is a little bit different, okay? It's, it's in a foreign language, but you're gonna understand it. It's gonna make sense. And here's what I want you to do as you watch it. Pay attention to how you feel. Okay, take a look. How'd you feel? Feels good, doesn't it? It feels right. It feels inspiring because there is something beautiful and irresistible about generosity. I mean, that was just a two minute video in a foreign language and we didn't really even know the, the, the context. And you go, that's beautiful. We need more of that in our world. I want that in my life. Question for you, why do you think generosity looks beautiful? Why is it inspiring and attractive? I think it's because at the heart, generosity is, is, is love. Love, is, love always gives. Generosity is the impulse of love. And since God is love and we're made in God's uh, image, we've got God's generosity in our DNA. God wired us for generosity. Take a look at this irresistible generosity of the first church in Jerusalem. It says in Acts chapter two, all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being uh, saved. Notice how it says they shared everything. They shared their money. They shared their, uh, their meals. Uh, and the people on the outside were like, that's beautiful. The world needs more of this. I want that in my life. And notice how it says that God added to their number every single day because generosity makes the church irresistible. And notice how it says all the believers, everybody in the church came together like a team and they, they showed generosity. They practiced uh, generosity. I really enjoyed uh, watching the, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers play this uh, summer. How many of you have been following the, the Brewers? Hasn't it been great? Yeah, it's been an awesome season. Big game, uh, big, big game uh, today. You know, several years ago, a few years ago, the Brewers began this rebuilding process and we traded away many of our top players and nobody, I mean, predicted they'd make the playoffs uh, in 2018 or, you know, play to win the division today. But the Brewers play as a team. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a baseball uh, a group of guys play as a, as a team the way the Brewers do. Everybody on the Brewers, every player contributes. And, and that's how the Brewers have accomplished more than anybody has, would have imagined. And, and the same is true for a church. Almost two years ago, you know, we came together as a church, as a team for this initiative called Unfinished. And we took our biggest step of faith, our biggest step of generosity to accomplish more for God than we ever could on our own, just like this church in the book of Acts. In chapter four, it goes on describing the irresistible generosity of this uh, church. Would you read this description out loud with me on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. The whole congregation of believers was united as one 
one heart, one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, that's mine, you can't have it. They shared everything. As I reflected on this uh, church in Jerusalem and uh, this description of these early Jesus followers, three convictions stood out to me that united them together. All of them had these key convictions about generosity. And it made them irresistible. Here's the first one you see. All of them had this strong conviction that God owns it all. Notice it says they didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. Now, it's easy to say, uh, you know, God owns it all and, and believe it up here. But it's another thing to feel it down here. And it's another thing to live it out, live it out here. Uh, this conviction, you know, it has to travel a long distance from our head to our heart to our hands. But these early Jesus followers, they believed it up here and they felt it here. And then they lived it out in real life. They united around it. They shared this common value so much. Look at this next verse. Look at how they prayed. It says, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They had this core conviction, all of them had it, that God owns it all. And if you think about it, this conviction makes God irresistible because God gives us everything we need to sustain life. God blesses us with provisions and resources and relationships with each other and with him. It's hard to resist a generous God like that. And so what happens when we have this kind of conviction that God owns it all? What happens when we really buy into it? I came across a story that uh, inspired me, challenged me. It's about an author. Many of you have probably heard of her. Her name is J.K. Uh, Rowling. Uh, she uh, wrote the Harry Potter series. Now, I don't know where she is spiritually, but God's at work in her story of generosity. Before she wrote Harry Potter, she was a, a single mother who really went through heartbreak and struggle. At one point, she was so poor as she began working on the, the Harry Potter series, when she sat down and began writing about the first manuscript, she wrote on the back of a free cafe napkin because that's all she could afford. Eventually, uh, she became the world's first billionaire author, landing on Forbes' list of the uh, richest, richest people on earth. But here's what's fascinating. Recently, Forbes had to remove her from the list. And the reason they removed her is not because she squandered her, her wealth on wild living or risky investments. They had to take her off the list of billionaires because she has given away so much of her money to help organizations who serve single parent families, children in poverty, fighting illiteracy. In fact, she gave so much away. When they did the math, she no longer qualifies as one of the richest people on earth. And when they asked her about her extravagant uh, generosity, look at what J.K. Rowling said. You, you have a a moral responsibility when you've been given. Notice that word given. She's, she's not saying, I, you know, I earned it, you know, I deserved it, I worked hard, it's all mine. No, she says, you have a moral responsibility when you've been given far more than you need to do wise things with it and give intelligently. Now, my guess is that we probably don't have any billionaires in the uh, room uh, today, uh, just a guess, but I'd be willing to bet that many of us here have been given uh, far more than we need by our generous God. 
And understand, the early church in Acts chapter 4, they didn't have a great deal of wealth either, but they realized whether poor or rich that God gave them everything that they have. And so they live with this core conviction every day. It all came from God. Well, they also had a second conviction, these early uh, Christ followers. They held on to this, this uh, conviction that God wants generosity for you, not from you. That's right, for you, not from you. In other words, God's not this uh, uh, bill collector chasing you down, screaming, pay up, pay up, pay up. Uh, that's not God. That's not who he is. He loves us and he wants what's best for us, just like you want what's best for those that you love. This week I did some reflecting on a, on a very common, uh, familiar uh, scripture to many of us about, about giving that I think sometimes we misunderstand. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where it simply says God loves a cheerful giver. And, and many people think, and I've probably taught this before, that if I'm going to give to God, God requires that I give uh, cheerfully, that I'm cheerful about it, right? And so... If I'm not feeling cheerful about it, then, you know, then, I, then I shouldn't give. I need, to, I need to wait until I do feel cheerful. And some people would say, well, you know, I would give, but, but I'm not happy about it. And some people wait and wait and wait to give. Some people are, are, are still waiting, you know, to, to, to give because they're not cheerful. But that's not how this works, okay? Here's how it works. You give, and when you give, you become cheerful. There's even some research on this. I want to read a quote. It's from an article in the U.S. News and World Report. It's called, What Generosity Does to Your Brain. Look at this. The feel-good effects of giving begin in the brain. It's called giver's glow. I like that phrase, giver's glow. It's triggered by brain chemistry, which recognizes rewarding stimuli. Philanthropy doles out, or generosity gives out, we could put it that way, Several different happiness chemicals, including dopamine, endorphins that give people a sense of euphoria, and oxytocin, which is associated with tranquility, serenity, or inner peace. This pleasure and reward system at its most basic level is tied to the joy we receive from eating, sex, and social interactions. Viewing the brain with MRI technology during moments of generosity or selfless behavior has led scientists to uncover that even the thought of giving can engage this ancient response. This explains why the brain responds to generosity in a similar way as it does to behaviors that are necessary for life. Isn't that great? You know, I love it when modern research affirms what the Bible, what the Bible taught thousands of years ago. Giving makes us cheerful. It makes us joyful. Maybe, maybe this will help ex explain it. Would you, would, you, would you just do this with me? Would you hold your hands out uh, just, just for a a couple of moments. Uh, go ahead and do that. Uh, work with me. Help. I think this will be helpful. Hold your hands out, okay? And uh, I want you to make a fist. Make a real tight fist. In fact, uh, squeeze them, okay? And see, when we live this way, tight-fisted, we hold on to, to fear. We hold on to anxiety and anxiousness about having enough money. We hold on to greed you know, you can just feel the tension, you know, if you squeeze tight, okay? Now, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you, okay? And uh, what are you about to do? You're about to duke it out, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I want to do that. And that's what happens. It, it becomes, you know, me against you, me against the world, me against God. 
Now, we're not done yet. I want you to do one more thing, okay? And I want you to just open them up, all right? And what does that represent? What does that posture look like? That's like a posture of, of worship. And it's so fascinating when, when we decide to give and, and, we, 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 and we open ourselves up to God and, and what he has for us. We open ourselves up to generosity and to love and to freedom and worry-free living. And you become cheerful. You become joyful. That's why in Acts chapter 4, it describes the group of Jesus followers by saying God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. You know why? Because they opened themselves up to it. They didn't live like this. They lived like this. And God's grace worked powerfully in all of them. And that's what God wants us to experience today. I mean, God doesn't really need what I have that he's already given to me. But when when we open ourselves up to him, he has something for us. That's why generosity is something God wants for you, not from you. And the early church got this and it brought them together and united them as one church. They also had a third conviction, here it is. God wants to accomplish something in us, but also through us. Not just in us, we've, we've, talked, about, we've, we've talked about in us, but also through us. Now, for reasons that I don't fully understand, God's favor is on, on this church, on, on River Glen Church. Maybe, you know, maybe we've gotten used to it, but God puts things in front of us. God allows us to get involved in things that just don't happen all the time. And I believe God's got more things that he wants to do through us locally, regionally, and globally that may seem impossible to us. But if you go back to the early church in the book of Acts, that's exactly how God worked through these first followers of Jesus. Look at what happened. It says there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Imagine that. Imagine a city. Imagine a neighborhood. Imagine a community, a world without need where every need gets met. There's no hunger, no poverty, no fear, no desperation, no one distant from God. Can you imagine that? It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? In fact, it might sound so good, we're tempted to think, can that really happen? Yes, that's possible. It can, because that's exactly what God did through, those, through that first church. God changed lives. God transformed communities. God altered eternities. God accomplished his mission through the irresistible generosity of those first followers of Jesus. And that's our vision that's our vision for the unfinished initiative today. We said that uh, we're an unfinished people. God's not done with anybody and we need to keep our ministries, all our ministries alive and strong and healthy and growing. Do you know that in the last year, through your generosity, get this, God has grown the attendance of River Glen Church uh, 10%. That's not typical in America today, 10%. 10% growth. Let's just, let's give God a hand. That's awesome. That's a blessing. And uh, since the start of Unfinished, we have baptized over 200 people. And don't just think about that number. Every one of those individuals has a story of God working in their life, a story of God doing a finishing work in their life. We also said we're an unfinished church. We said we wanna start two new campuses an online campus, and then also a physical campus 15 to 30 minutes away. About a year ago, 
we launched the online campus. I'm, I'm curious, how many of you have checked out or logged on at some point to the, yeah, wow. I mean, it has really exceeded my expectations. God has used it in, in the lives of many people. I'll give you just a quick example. This summer, we had somebody watching online at nine o'clock. They felt so moved, they got in their car, came over at the 10.30 service and uh, got baptized uh, right over there. God's just drawn people of all ages through the online campus. And uh, next weekend's the grand opening of the Pewaukee campus. Over 300 people from this Waukesha location have said yes to serve on that launch team. Get that new campus up and going. I can't wait to see how God will use it. It's exciting because a single campus church like River Glen up to this point has about a 15 minute circle of influence. But starting this new location, it's about 20 minutes away in Pewaukee, this is going to significantly expand our circle of influence, our circle of outreach to make more and better followers of Jesus. I'm told we already have 33 new people from Pewaukee, from the Pewaukee area that have just started attending uh, for, for, for the practice services these last couple weeks. And uh, we also said we have an unfinished mission we increased our goal to plant more churches, which is different. I want to clarify, it's different than starting a new campus like Pewaukee. Pewaukee campus is part of River Glen. We're one church in two locations. We're going from three to five services on, on the weekend. But church plants are different. Church plants are independent and separate. And the reason we plant new churches is because if you go back and you study the book of Acts and you look at that church in Jerusalem that we've been looking at descriptions of uh, so far today, you'll find that as they grew, what they would do is they would send out leaders into Judea and Samaria and Greece and Rome and just all over the world to plant new churches because it's the best way to spread the good news about Jesus Christ. And that's why we just planted a new church in Haiti through your generosity, we bought this land. We, we paid for the construction and the salary of the pastor for this new church in a place called Onaville in, in Haiti. And that's why we sent Brandon and Danielle Stevenson to start one church in the Pittsburgh area. Brandon just texted me last week and he said, I got a story for you. He said, we kicked off finding your way back to God on Sunday. Maybe some of you remember we did that series not long ago. He says, a mom we know from our son's school came to one church on Sunday, had not been to church in years. She was in tears during the service. She's reading the book every night. She joined our, our small group and is finding her way back to God. Isn't that great to hear? And I'm really excited to tell you about a, a new church getting ready to launch that we're partnering with uh, in North Carolina as part of Unfinished. It's called Bright, Church, Bright City Church, located in Durham, an area of over 300,000 people. And I want you to take a look at this, this video. The uh, church planter, Ike Miller, and his wife, uh, Sharon, made for us. Uh, take a look. Hi, my name is Ike Miller, and this is my wife, Sharon. And we are planting Bright City Church here in the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina. And we just wanted to say a huge thank you to River Glen for partnering with us in this mission that God has called us on. Yeah, we, we really believe that Christ changes us to change our world. That is the vision that He has imparted to us again and again and again for this area. 
and we are seeing God go before us in incredible ways and one of those ways is your support and so thank you so much for that. And we would love for you guys to continue praying for us uh, on this journey. And in particular, we would love for you to pray that people would encounter God in a way that they just never have before. That they would find that they were made in a particular way to have a particular impact in the world and that we would help them discover what that is. So thank you for praying for us, uh, for supporting us, and for encouraging us in this journey. Isn't that exciting? Let's give God another hand for this opportunity to uh, partner with Ike and Sharon and start uh, Bright City uh, a Church. Uh, Steve Larson from our staff uh, knows Ike and, and Sharon. Steve is actually in Durham, uh, North Carolina today because uh, Bright City Church is holding, get this, they're holding their, their grand opening like right now. Steve and I have been uh, texting this morning and uh, let's be in prayer for the launch of uh, Bright City Church. I just love that God works not just in us, but through us because of your generosity. And I just want to say thank you for your generosity. It's, it's beautiful. It's powerful. It's irresistible. And I'm grateful that I get to be part of a, of a generous church because an irresistible church is always a generous church. We accomplish so much more together than we could on our own. And so I got just a couple challenges for you as, uh, as, uh, uh, as we wrap it up. First of all, for those of you who made a commitment to unfinished, let's finish strong. You know, the finish line for this initiative is coming up the end of the year. It's just three months away. And let's all, all of us that made a commitment, let's finish strong. I know Marnie and I, we made um, our biggest uh, financial commitment that we have ever made of any kind and we've had ups and downs, but God has been so good, so faithful to us. We feel cheerful, not like God's taken something from us, but God has something for us. And, and we're just excited that he's working, uh, not just in us, but through us. And so we've got three more months to go with unfinished. Let's finish strong. But today is, maybe today's not just about a, a finish line. Uh, maybe it's about a starting line for you to begin living with open-handed generosity. Maybe today's a starting line where you say, you know, I want that in, in, in my life. I want to live with an open hand as a reflection of, of God's heart. A few years ago, I had the chance to uh, travel to uh, Israel. And there were two locations that made a big impression on me. The first one is the uh, Sea of Galilee. There's two bodies of water in Israel. One of them is the Sea of Galilee, one of the prettiest uh, places that I've ever seen in my life. Jesus spent most of his time uh, around the Sea of Galilee, ministering to people, many of them fishermen. I mean, this, this uh, sea is just loaded with fish. I mean, 20 different, 27 different species of fish. The shores are, are lush with uh, vegetation and, and birds. I'll never forget the beauty of it. But there's a second body of water in Israel called the Dead Sea. And uh, unlike the Sea of Galilee, I mean, there's, there's, there's no fish, there's no life at all, there's no plants. It's actually larger uh, than the Sea of Galilee, but uh, the Dead Sea is dead, you know? It's bitter, it's salty, and lifeless. Now, both seas are fed by the same river, the Jordan River, so you wonder, how could two seas with the same source be so much different? And the answer is because the Sea of Galilee 
receives water on one end and it gives out water on the other end. But the Dead Sea receives water, but it has no outlet. It just keeps all the water within itself, making it a lifeless body of of, of water. And that's really a picture of, of, of life, isn't it? If we receive and do not give, we do not live. And so maybe for you today, maybe God's nudging you, maybe God's leading you to open your hand to to generosity so that you can really live. My my experience with God is that about every uh, year or two, God says, Ben, you know, you've been at this level and I want you to go up to this level because I have something for you. And every time I've trusted God to go from here to, to here, God has provided. God has more than provided. It might help us to look at a few different levels of generosity to help us identify where we are and, and what it looks like to, to graduate to the next level. I'm gonna call level one an initial giver. Maybe you've never opened your hand financially and given to God. Maybe today you take your initial step as a, as a giver. That'd be a great step to take. All of us begin as a, an initial giver, but some people stay at this level and they give randomly spontaneously, maybe impulsively, until God leads you to graduate to consistent giving. And this is where you give a predetermined percentage of all your income. You go from spontaneous to consistent giving. And for those of you graduating to this uh, second level, I would suggest that you consider electronic giving. It is, it is so easy to set up. You just go to our website. You can even do it on your, on your phone. Just text 77977. It, it helps you give consistently. And that's why I do it. And then level three, I'm going to call this an intentional giver. This is where you, you move to 10% or more of all your income. And the reason I say 10% is because the Old Testament commanded the tithe. And the word tithe is just a mathematical term that means a tenth. It means 10%. But the tithe is not a a settling point. It's really a starting point for the follower of Jesus that wants to live and grow in open-handed generosity. Because if you read the teachings of Jesus, I mean, he didn't limit giving to a tithe. Sometimes Jesus would challenge his followers to go beyond, sometimes to go way beyond a a, a tithe. But 10% is a great place to start. I would encourage you, wherever you're at, identify and take your next step because God has a next step for every person. And generosity, it's not just beautiful. And it doesn't just transform us. When we come together, it makes the church powerful and irresistible. And just like the church in Acts, I want people on the outside to look at the generosity of River Glen. And I want them to say, wow, that's, that's beautiful. Our world needs more of that. I want that in my life. I want to be part of a generous church. How about you? Let's finish strong and let's, let's live with open-handed generosity. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for allowing us to be part of, uh, of your mission in this world. And thank you for so many incredible opportunities that you have put in front of our church and allowed us to, to be part of. God, thank you for the, 
the generosity of, of this church, River Glen Church. And God, thank you for this opportunity to partner with Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina. And I know, you know, right now they're holding their, their grand opening. And I ask that uh, you just, you, you show up and, and give them a strong start today. Make a big impact through them, through them today. And God, I want to also lift up our, our Pewaukee campus. We've got a big weekend, especially next Sunday as we have our grand opening. And God, I just pray that, that you would make that Pewaukee campus irresistible and uh, give them a strong start, a strong launch. God, thank you for, for giving us resources and energy and, and time and, and, and finances that allow us to, to give back to you that you multiply in lives changed and communities transformed. God, would you help us trust you to live with open hands? And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.